Okay. This hour, I'm going to talk about what I, um, what I had discussed, maybe it was two weeks ago during the announcement hour. Um, all those bumper stickers and t-shirts and all those kinds of fun things you see. As you're driving around city, walking around, going to the mall, you park your car, you see all sorts of funky bumper stickers, especially in Sonoma County. I mean, you see some cars. It's just like the people with the tattoos. They got it, they got it, they're all over the place. They, they, they will put it all up and down the back of their car, and there's some really weird stuff out there. Um, I'm going to show you some of these variations that are available to those um, wishing to espouse their, their heretical and anti-Christian views. And um, some of those views, believe it or not, are professed by Christians and uh, others by those various earth, animal, self, and for that matter, they might say non-self ideals and philosophical viewpoints. So if you were here uh, a few weeks ago, you know that I was talking about how uh, we were driving to church and uh, we drive by a couple of churches when we lived in Santa Rosa. We now live here in Rona Park. But um, we drive by a couple of churches and, uh, and one really big church in the area. It's not very fancy from the outside, but um, uh, it's a notable one. Um, it's, uh, if you're familiar with the theological ideals, it's, it's, kind of a, it's a church on pantheism. Um, uh, it, it, it's big. I mean, it's, it's got a full parking lot. Um, so if you can judge it by size and depth, it's, um, it's filled. I mean, every time we go by, there's cars just loaded up in that parking lot. In fact, behind the building, um, <laughs> they opened up a lot where it used to just be grass and gravel. And they started parking. They must have bought the property or something because their front parking lot would get so full. And then they opened, they pulled this fence back. It used to be just fenced off and they fenced it off and then cars just loaded up in there. So, you know, it's, um, it, it, it's a church that uh, it teaches that, you know, God is everywhere. We are in that sort of belt where you get people espousing those kinds of ideals. Uh, but not just everywhere, but that God is in all things. So, in all things, and that all paths lead to God. It's a Unitarian-style church. Um, so, it, it, it's, it, you know, all things are okay. Um, it also happens to be one of those churches that when you drive up, or for that matter, anywhere where you're driving up, they stop traffic. So you're, it's a two-lane road. So you're cruising along, you're doing about 45, and then everybody's driving in. So you, you'll, you'll pull up, and then, bam, right, right behind the car, there was one of those bumper stickers. You know, it, it, was, um, it was pretty easy to read. It looked like it was new, like they had just bought it. You know, the car was clean, but, you know, bumper stickers get that worn look to them. This was brand spanking new, so it was bright. I mean, so I, I stopped right up behind it, and... Um, and, and the bumper sticker was, what would Jesus bomb? So for those of you who remember, I announced that. And, uh, and, and at first thought, I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, and I might have even said something to Sheila. I try to be quiet with the kids in the car. And I, and I, know, I know I thought, he'd probably bomb this church. So I mean, I, I mean I, that's, that's, that's what first came to mind. And, and, I, and I said, that's probably not a good way to be. It's kind of a poor attitude. <laughs> and uh, so um, I thought, you know, you, you should pray for these people and that they would have their hearts opened and that they would um, recognize Jesus as their personal Savior because they don't 
believe that Jesus is God. You know, all, all paths lead to God. So it's any way you want to get there. It's, it's, um, it's a very open church, anything goes kind of a thing. And um, so, you know, I, I, without much more being said, I think we should probably pray. And uh, I think we'll, we'll pray for those people. Um, so why don't we, we bow our heads and, and, and pray right now. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, uh, uh, I pray that uh, you, you guide me and work through me, that uh, as we talk about what things Jesus would bomb or, 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 or the ideals uh, about Jesus and, and how just he will be and, and what a great judge he will be and, and, and his love for us, um, we pray that, uh, that the individuals that we come in contact with daily, um, that it's somehow in some way that, that you'll open their heart and, uh, and they will see the error of their ways and they will embrace you, Lord, and uh, that we would see many people saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, first sticker. You can get the sticker up there. What would Jesus bomb? That's the exact sticker I saw. You can get that stuff online from, uh, I won't even mention the website, so, but you, you can get, the, get this sticker and one other sticker. You can go ahead and go to the next screen there. Who would Jesus bomb? So you got, you got it all going on. Um, so I, I guess my first question would be, would be when? You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know it, it, it's the assumed answer. When somebody asks a question like that, the assumed answer, of course, in their minds, is that Jesus is a pacifist, and in his ministry, he was a pacifist, and his ministry was just during the time he was here before he was crucified. And if you have any other viewpoint, of course, you're looked at being uneducated or simple-minded or just plainly savage. I mean, you just couldn't speak to an individual with that mindset and have an intelligent conversation with them, especially about the Bible, especially in a church like that. Um, But there are Christians who've professed pacifism um, for various reasons. Um, uh, You know, uh, these teachings of of pacifism uh, were arrived early in the church. there were Jews during this time when Christ was crucified called Ebionites. Um, they were a heretical sect of the Jews. Uh, the Jew, these Jews were Gnostics. And of course, Gnosticism is this whole transcendental idea, just like, you know, sort of embracing in pantheism that, uh, that God is everywhere and in all things and there's emanations of God. And uh, therefore, that being said, Jesus was one of these emanations, and a very perfect one, but he is not God. Um, so they can sort of piece things out that he's a prophet, and uh, somehow they mix into that, since he isn't your way of salvation, that he was just a prophet and that he was teaching peace. Anyway, so uh, these Gnostics and Neoplatonists, if we, we can call them that, um, and Christian pacifists are, are more or less just heretics. They don't quite grasp what and who Jesus is. Um, I don't know how anyone can read anything in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, anything in between, and, and find anywhere where God's a pacifist. 
Um, I mean, from the get-go, I don't, I don't care which book you start, but um, <laughs> from the get-go, in basic, you know, just, just one quick idea about how when Pharaoh was chasing Moses out of Egypt through the Red Sea, and then God closed the waters in over the army and destroyed the army. Um, I mean, there's many battles that, that God's people had. Um, in Ecclesiastes, of course, it talks about that there, and that was my Bible verse up there, but, but that there's a season to kill and a season for war. Um, well, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Ecclesiastes. And it's a 3, 1 through 8. And I'll wait for you to get there. Um, we'll read there about these seasons. And there's a season for everything. Um, we'll read 1 through 8. And uh, I'll go ahead. To everything there is a season. And to every time, every purpose under heaven. A time to be born. A time to die. A time to plant. A time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get, a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to rend a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. So I, I think it's pretty clear. Um, there are times for just about everything. And of course, we've all heard that song written by political activist Pete Seeger, Turn, Turn, Turn. We've all heard that. It gets played on the radio. Some groups have brought it back up again. Uh, but it was sung by the birds before I was born. Um, Pete Seeger pretty much lifted this directly out of Ecclesiastes and added right there at the end, after a time for peace, I swear it's not too late. So, I mean, he just took the whole verse out and changed it. Um, it's a very popular song. It's still, it's still played on, on radio today. Uh, I think that the, the sad thing is, is, of course, being an unsaved person as he is, um, he's a, a, you know, a communist pacifist, a political activist. Uh, uh, in fact, those lyrics that he had originally written for Ecclesiastes, uh, or out of Ecclesiastes for the song Turn, 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 in 2007 were donated to the, by the Communist Party USA to uh, the New York University as a historical document. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's a problem here. You know, here in our country... Um, and this is not a political conversation. It's a song about what, what, what uh, it's a conversation about what we believe Jesus to have, uh, or, or the plan of God is for us and his plan of God for everything. Um, but here we have an unsafe person ripping this song, or this, this, uh, this, the words right out of the Bible, making it into a song. And he was supported and promoted by the Communist Party. And uh, promoted pacifism, of course, until Hitler came around. He didn't like Roosevelt at all and wrote songs uh, uh, against Roosevelt in our country and, um, until the Communist Party, of course, told him to be pro, pro-war because, of course, Hitler was given the communist problems. So anyway, that's just a little side note there. Anyway, so 
little, little twist on that song that he made. It's, it's just, it's a nice song, but it's, it's the wrong twist. Um, anyway, so back on subject, sorry to digress a little bit. Um, but each of the Old Testament kings had their armies, and every Israelite king, if you've read Kings and, and Chronicles and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, um, every king, I don't care whether he was right with God or not right with God, he wanted God to be on his side when he was going to battle. Um, <laughs> he went to his prophet, he <laughs> asked the prophet to help him pray. Um, time and time again, of course, they did this. All the kings did this. And, uh, you know, it worked out in their favor most of the time when they were right with God and, and the, the people of the time were right with God and they weren't worshiping the idols, which they did over and over again. Um, so God was for them, but he was also giving them up when they weren't for him. So he would let the other heathen kings come in and, and give them their comeuppance when, when, uh, when they weren't following him. And... Um, you know, so we have to pay attention to where our hearts are. And, of course, there's conversations about our country and its ideals and its mindset about where we are. Um, but I think there's some very good examples in the Old Testament about, about where our hearts should be and how God will support us um, as a country. But anyway, David was a God after man's own heart. A spirit-filled guy, trained by the providence of God. Um, he fights and kills Goliath. I mean, God trained him for this. He was killing bears and lions. I, I couldn't imagine myself trying to kill a bear or a lion with a sling or a staff or whatever it may have been that he had. But uh, to, to get that sling going on and flip that right into, sink it into Goliath's head, I mean, that's all by the providence of God. I mean, just, just, just to do something like that, guided by God. I, I, I don't think that we can say God is a pacifist. Um, what about the flood? I mean, we can't say God's a pacifist. Everybody was annihilated then. Um, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, two cities totally destroyed. So I don't think we can say God was a pacifist. And, uh, of course, what about Abraham when he got everyone together to go rescue Lot? You know, there's no pacifism there. Um, how many times did the Philistines get whooped on by David? Over and over and over and over again. Um, Samuel had a peaceful kingdom, but every king that followed him um, lived and died by wars, either by the split kingdom or by other heathen kings, um, by their problems that they created themselves. Um, they were blessed with God when they walked with God, and God delivered the enemies into their hand. But when they weren't, <laughs> it didn't go so well. Um, as a side note, I read, I, I have read... Um, we're talking about, uh, of course, uh, Samuel and, and David and, and the kings that came afterwards. But I read those books to my boys, and they're, they're rather young. And reading those books, they talk about all the different battles and all the problems that occur. They know for sure to pick a wife, one wife, and, and one that loves God, believes in God, equally yoked in their simple way. Because you start reading those books and watching those kings and they started having all their wives and they were heathen wives. Then they started burning incense to idols, all sorts of things. And uh, they either got killed or they were punished for it or their children were punished. Um, anyway, good book to read to your children if you want to make sure that they're on the right track. I, anyway, i sorry about that. Um, <laughs> so 1 Samuel 15, 2, 3. 
Um, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Well, we know that all didn't happen, but um, God is telling them to go destroy Amalek for what he did to the Israelites when they were in Exodus, when they were attacking the women and children from behind, uh, you know, he doesn't forget he was going to repay the Amalekites. Um, so I guess we can pretty much clear up that God is not a pacifist, but so we can go back to how those people think they're only mentioning Jesus. So um, our bumper stickers just mention Jesus. They don't connect the two. They don't understand the Trinity and how that all works. So we'll clarify it for him. Um, in John fifteen nineteen, Jesus states, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he see the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also do the Son likewise. And then in John five thirty, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So I think the problem that arises from these, this non-Christian belief that the Son is not one with God, I think they, they just completely disconnect the two. Uh, again, going all the way back to the, to, 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 uh, the Ebionites and everybody in between and uh, Unitarians and, and all the variations of pantheism, which isn't even always directly related with God. It could be uh, tied in with Hinduism, Buddhism, all sorts of things. But this great thing about this transcendental nature of God, they, they just don't connect the two, so they can very easily subtract out and, 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 and place Jesus in this position. Um, but I think one thing that we know for sure is that God will not and has not sacrificed justice for love. I, I, he can be, be both perfectly just and love at the same time. And it's in our minds that we have no comprehension of this. We cannot at all understand what that means to be both love and just. It's just not clear to us. We're we're, we're linear creatures. Our minds are small. Um, We're also too selfish to understand. We're always thinking about how we feel about things. Um, So to go back to the way they're thinking, I think that uh, one of the key things that they like to do is stick with the red words in the Bible. They don't look at the whole Bible. They take out the one section and just the little red words they like to use. And they'll, they'll twist those to fit their viewpoint. So, to play their game, I'll stick with the red words. So we'll, we'll use the red words here. Um, there are many places that Jesus came in contact with people who had swords or worked in the military field. Um, when the centurion came to Jesus and asked him to heal his servant... You know, Matthew 8, 5, uh, 13, and then the parallel in 7, 6, 10 uh, for Luke. Um, Jesus never told him to throw down his sword or to never go to war. Never did that. In fact, they had conversation about how the centurion was in charge of so many people. And, and of course, the, the recognition was is how he thought about Christ. And, uh, and, and, and there was no conversation about him laying down his sword. Um, you know, there's a little bit of debate about it, but what about Peter and his sword? Peter and his sword. 
he used it to smite off somebody's ear. Um, when the Lord asked him what he had, of course, in Luke twenty-two thirty-eight, he said, And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, It is enough. Now, there's debate about this, about whether it should be enough of that, or it is enough. Now, I, I pulled out the parallels. So, I've got this parallel Bible of the New Testament at home, and it's got every different, you know, it's got the, you know, four, maybe, you know, it's got eight major versions in it. And, um, and I'm, I'm no expert in Greek. You know, you, you can use East Sword and you can look at the words. And so, I, you know, I, I, I can't read Greek. I, you know, I, a sentence structure, I have no clue. You know, I know they debate on the positives and negatives. I mean, it, you know, unless you study this stuff, I think we're probably all in the same boat. So anyway, I'm, I'm reading these, and it's got the NIV, the New International Version, the King James Version. It's got all these versions because I want to know where they were getting this idea. Um, because a lot of people think that Christ was speaking sarcastically when he said enough of that. He may have been. Um, when Peter used it to strike Malchus, he, he does tell him to stop. But I think the pacifists take it out of context. Uh, Jesus didn't want to get away. He had his father's work to do. So, when we think about how Peter drew his sword, he smote the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear, then, of course, then Jesus said to him, this is in, in John, um, put up thy sword into thy sheath, or into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? He's saying, this is where I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm supposed to do. Um, Matthew 26, 51 through 56, I think it, it kind of brings it out a lot better. Um, and behold, one of them which were with Jesus, that's Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest, Malchus, and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up thy sword into his place, for all they that take up the sword shall perish with the sword. There's this key little phrase here. That's also taken out of context. They only had two swords. There's 11 of them. There's two swords. But there's a whole bunch of guys around them with swords. So, yeah, if they have got their sword, and they're going to try to fight with two swords, they are going to die. So that makes sense. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily say here that, it's not the live by the sword, die by the sword verse that some people try to take that verse out of context and mean. It's logical. It makes sense. You don't go to battle with one gun when you got somebody there with M16s. I mean, these, there were a lot of people there. So, um, anyway, so let's come back. Then said Jesus, put up thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou, so he's telling them, I don't need, you don't need the sword, I'm here with you. I'm here. I'm God. I can take care of this if I need to. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to the Father, to my Father, and he shall presently give me twelve legions of angels. Peter didn't need his sword. Jesus didn't want to go. He certainly didn't have to go. There were many times in many places where Christ got out of these places where people were hunting him, looking for him, and then the next verse is, is he got away. It doesn't express how, but you know, there's, he's in a busy place. There's lots of people there. They're all looking for him. They're right on top of him, and then he gets away. He could have gotten away if he wanted to. Walking away, calling a legion of angels. He, he could have gotten away if he wanted to. But, as it says here, how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, are ye come out against a thief with swords and staves to take me? 
I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hands on me, laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. He didn't want to get away. That's where he was supposed to go. Um, Peter was a Galilean, and uh, Galileans, in my reading, traveled with swords. Okay, um, Matthew Henry says this: the Galileans generally traveled with swords. Christ wore none himself, but he was not against the disciples for wearing them. So, if Jesus was against swords, why didn't he tell them before this, or why did he use the sword as an allegory for something spiritual? I don't have time to go over all the different verses. Um, Sticking to the red ones here, um, Matthew uh, 10, 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Now, of course, we can think about that as a word or faith or whatever it may be. But the allegory is he used sword. Not all the time, but many times. Um, side note for Matthew twenty six fifty two. Put up thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. I also think that when we do take that, live by the sword, die by the sword sort of translation out of this, that it can also mean using a sword in vain. Obviously, if you're a thief, <laughs> you're a bad dude, and you're walking around, and you got your sword, or your gun for that matter, you live that way, you're going to die that way. So that's another way. So we can think of it in the way of being vain. Um, Luke twenty-two thirty-six. Then he said unto them, But now he that hath a purse, see, look, there's my purse right there, um, let him take it, and likewise his scrip, and that he hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Um, he, in his own way, he's trying to educate the, you know, Peter and, and, and the other apostles, of course, that the sword should be his, their, their, their faith, the word which he's giving them. Um, but again, this allegory. Although, when he says this, we have to remember that there are some interpretations of this verse that make the statement that is tied to Second Colossians 11.26 because the apostles, of course, would need to defend themselves. Um, 11.26 in, in Colossians, in journeyings often, in perils of water. Here's Paul. In perils of robbers. How are they going to defend themselves against robbers? In perils of mine own countrymen. In perils by heathen. Perils by city. Perils in wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils in, among false brethren. So we go back. We could pull up what Peter used to wear, or he wore, what the apostles wore. Um, there's Jesus' past fist. I mean, this is kind of what they wore. It's my little, little cartoon here of this. Um, that's Peter. He's got the long hair. No, I'm teasing. Um, where would he have put his sword? If this was a big secret, and they didn't carry swords, and he had a sword, where was he going to hide it? Couldn't. So he obviously had it. Jesus would have said, get rid of it long before this. Uh, do you have any idea how big swords were 2,000 years ago? Pull that up. This may not be an exact rendition of what it would be. This is a Roman sword, but these guys were about 28 inches long. And if you had a tunic on, and you had a loincloth, and sometimes they'd stick the, 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 the they would hold the, you know, you see, um, if we go back to the tunic there, they'd rope it up, but they could pull the loincloth up, so they'd stick the, the sword. They would hold it in a manner. Now, of course, the soldiers had nice leather things they could stick them into. Um, there's nowhere to hide it. These guys were traveling with swords. Um, it's a big sword. 
28 inches long. I mean, we're, we're talking a sword like this. Where are you going to stick that dress like that? You can't hide it anywhere. Um, so, no debate whether or not he had a sword. Um, but what about, let's get away from the sword, but what about Christ when he drove out the money changers in the temple? In John two thirteen through 16, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a small, excuse me, when he made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers of money and overthrew the tables and them that sold doves. Take these things hence, make my, not my father's house and house of merchandise. Let's see what a scourge might have looked like at this time. Bring up the scourge. So, it probably didn't look like this, but that's what a scourge looks like. It's got a handle on it, and it's got leather straps, and there's variations of this kind of a thing. You know, in, in some of the all, you know, these, these far out, the Catholic, they like to flagellate themselves. You know, you see these on TV sometimes, but that's a little weird thing. We're not talking about that. So it's got a, scour- a scourge. Um, it doesn't say specifically that he struck anyone or anything. Um, but it does say he drove them out. So I did a little reading on oxen, and it says that oxen learn to move based upon certain verbal cues. So person in charge, they, they hear it. Um, some people ride them like horses. It's, it's, it's very unique. I've never seen that before. Um, so verbal cues and commands, body language, and of course whips and broads. So um, our, our, our Lord could have used any one of those means. He could have just wanted them to move and they would have moved. Um, but could you imagine? I, he, I mean, he made a scourge. He didn't just make everybody move. He kind of went off. And he had a scourge in his hand. And so I'm not saying he hit anyone, um, but he did use the scourge to drive them out. Whatever he was doing with it, and it must have been scary. Because I can imagine if you were some of those guys that were the money changers and had the oxen, and you're selling these oxen or, or, or trading it for a profit, um, they had to have been terrified. I mean, could you imagine the God-man, Jesus himself, making a scourge, flipping over tables, kicking people out? That would have been, I couldn't even imagine it. I mean, that, that, would, that would be wild. In, 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 the, in a place where they consider holy, um, here you have Jesus doing this thing, making a scourge, <laughs> driving these guys out. These guys would have been angry. I mean, there would have been more than just one of them. So he had to have scared the tar out of these guys to drive them out. And that just does not sound too much like a pacifist. He didn't sit there and just try to talk to them. Would you guys please leave? <laughs> this isn't the right place for this. You know, th- th- this was not one of these new, uh, new age sort of politicking, how to deal with world politics through conversation mentalities here. <laughs> he flipped over tables and drove people out. Um, so here we're in the New Testament. We were in the Old Testament. And now we're at the end. So we sort of skip around and we, we come through the whole Bible and we, we see there's, there's not much pacifism going on there. Remember, God is both just and love. There's lots of love in there. We're only speaking about a specific point. Um, when Christ comes back, when Christ comes back, it's not going to be a fun place. There's sheep and there's goats. It's not going to be a fun place for the goats. 
And another angel came out of the temple, this is Revelation 14-15, through 15, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on a cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with, to him that had, a, uh, had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine on the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress for the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. There's debate on how big that is, 1,600, 160, the, roughly the size of Israel, but um, <laughs> the horse's bridle. Whether we interpret this literally or not, whatever, whatever we do, it's not a pacifist viewpoint. Um, Revelation 19.15, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it it should smite the nations, and he shall rule them. Prince of Peace, rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness, fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. Yeah, he's going to be their Prince of Peace. He's going to rule them with a rod of iron. There is no pacifism. I, I don't see how anyone could take out of reading anywhere in the Bible where the loving God, Christ Jesus, is a pacifist. Everything is done with the justness and love God has for us. And uh, so I think that, as I made a joke about it a couple of weeks ago, it shouldn't be who would Jesus bomb, what would Jesus bomb, or even for that matter, what would Jesus do? Because I don't think we can do what Christ can do. Um, it's just not in us. We're not, we're, not, we're not perfect. We can't think exactly the way Christ would think. We don't have that ability. But I think it should be, and I think people should be more concerned with what will Jesus do. You don't want to be one of those grapes tread out in the wine press. It's not going to be a good place. So um, maybe a little bit more fear and understanding, and not this sort of sarcastic humor that uh, some of these people have. Um, and there's many more. I had, there was t-shirts I had, but I thought I'd stick to the bumper stickers. There's all sorts of horrible things that, that, that people will buy and wear on their chests, and it's all degrading um, to Christ. And I, I think maybe a little bit of reading of the Bible and a little bit of opening of the heart is in order. Um, thank you. That's my sermon for this evening.